marathon doesn't owe you anything and so you go out and get to celebrate it um, and you get to and if you're if you're in those key moments of the races and you're thinking um, this should be automatic or this should you know this was owed to me that's likely not to set you up for your best performance that's Pete Bronker. I'm Stuart Holiday. This is the Focus Mind Podcast. Hello, this is Stuart Holiday. Welcome to the Focus Mind Podcast. With me today is my guest, Peter Bromke. Peter is a resident of Portland in Oregon. And some of you who are endurance uh, running fans may know about who Peter is from his long form writing on uh, his marathon adventures. And for context, for those who don't know, Peter started out um, in marathons around the three hour mark. And over the last five years, as he's, as he's captured his writing, he's brought his time down to 2.19 and he's on the cusp of American Olympic qualifying standards and in the next few weeks he'll be at Boston and trying to break that time um, as uh, I've said Peter is from the town of Portland uh, the city of Portland a beautiful place on the west coast of America I've been there and trained there and seen for myself just what a great place it is to live and to train and so, Peter, just welcome to the podcast. Thanks first so much. Thanks for having me. Um, yeah, I'm glad that you've no, had no a chance to run in beautiful Portland, Oregon. I'm actually from here, and there's just quite a diverse variety of places to run, from single track trails to roads to beautiful waterfront. Um, we always enjoy showing people around. Cool. Um, and just um, picking up from where we left off, uh, with um, episode one with Ed Caesar, who worked, uh, uh, well, worked, he, he was doing his research for the Breaking Two project at Nike. I believe you also worked there uh, around the same yeah, time. Yeah, I was lucky enough to um, be at Nike for three years. I was part of the digital sport organization, kind of like the, the apps and the watches and wearables that you can buy. Um, and as an avid runner, I was connected with a lot of the runners on campus so it was a pretty fun time to be there because people were starting to get excited around how well uh Elliot Kipchoge was doing which eventually led to uh the breaking two uh event that you referred to um you know at the time I found out about the the that the attempt was going to happen the same day as everyone else and I just thought like wow already um I couldn't believe it because you know I having known of Ed's work and how he described the ideal conditions and then having known that Elliot Kipchoge had just won the Olympics and was in very fine form. Um, and even knowing that, you know, the shoe technology that he was running and was evolving rapidly, even I thought, wow, this is really an audacious goal, but that's one of the benefits of being at a Nike is just how willing they are to take big risks and throw on, throw big events. Um, and so I was very excited as we're fans around the world to sit back and watch um, his attempt and how close he came. Uh, so that, it was really wonderful. Uh, I wasn't personally there or really connected to it, but I was just a huge fan like many others. 
And uh, I mean, you've uh, you've got some some privy access to uh, testing some of the footwear, and you've you've kind of um, developed at the same time that there's been quite a lot of advances. Yeah. Um, at the same time, your your speed has got. Quicker. Yeah, it's been pretty great. I mean, as the world knows, the Nike Vaporfly Four Percent is out, uh, has been for a few years, and I was fortunate to be. Uh, part of the testing program um, over the last couple of years. And it's been really interesting because like you mentioned, I had marathoned years ago um, and, you know, it was more, closer to three hours. And then while I was at Nike, I got more serious about marathoning and really focused on it. Um, and as I, you know, got more serious and the time started to come down, um, these new forms of shoes were coming out. And so, I mean, I'm even curious from your perspective, the psychological effect of, you know, you're taking on new goals, but also you start to instill some confidence and maybe it's possible because you have these new tools, you've really dialed in your whole kit uh, from apparel to footwear. So um, yeah, I'm curious if you have thoughts on that. Um, I mean, I know a couple of people and they'll only swear by certain brands or particular shoes, whether or not they're in pristine condition or looking like they should be thrown out. Um, what we know from the science is there is a bit of a placebo effect for, uh, for runners. And uh, there's even research into superstition that uh, exists in sports psychology. And uh, there's a guy I saw from Africa and he was doing about superstition in football over there. And it was pushing the boundaries of science definitely but more specifically around running you know I was doing a talk the other day and there was a concept I talk about called um, confidence is currency so you know everyone's got their own technique to be able to increase their savings if you want to put it in that language and you know a lot of people take a lot of uh, get a lot of value from the really long runs with pace you know and that that adds a lot of credit to the bank Sometimes if you have a poor run, that sort of takes some money out. So if you've got the right kit and it gives you confidence, whatever brand or, you know, whatever your thing is, if, if it works for you, then as long as it's not something that damages your, you know, your running style or it's not something that's going to weigh you down, then, yeah, you know, like you've got to go with what, what feels right. And, you know, a little, you know, the marathon itself, it's a head game. So if you can... If, if if a little thing works for you, it's, it might not be right for the next guy, but it will definitely, hopefully, um, improve your per, your personal yeah. performance. So that, yeah, that a little bit like I think you... that makes sense. I mean, what's interesting when you mention that is how, as I've sort of taken a step down in the marathon multiple times, um, it's less about there. Uh, I think about it less as a superstitious belief in a lucky pair of shoes per se is so much the opposite saying, okay, the pair of shoes that um, I ran my last marathon in, I've trained a lot since then, but also I have a new and updated pair of shoes. And these are capable as, as am I to run the marathon in a whole new fashion, because it really takes that mental uh, savings, like you say, to say, you know, I'm going to go, and try to run break 240 okay now i'm going to try to break 230 now i'm going to try to break 220 um i've had to reimagine myself as a marathoner each time and there's a lot of mi miles that mm. get you there but there's also um yeah. a reimagination of maybe 
this is possible. And it's nice to have some external factors that, you know, whether or not they're just a fresh pair of the same version of shoes or whether it's a new, new pair of shoes um, to believe in, oh, th this is possible now because something else has changed um, beyond just my fitness. Um, whether or not, you know, it actually pans out, uh, it's, it's a helpful process to go through so that when you come back to the same course, I mean, it, in my case, coming back to Boston and thinking, how am I gonna run this <laughs> same course? It's so historic, um, so much faster. You think, oh, well, we've trained in a new way. We have new equipment and we have a new mental approach. And so here we go. So that's really interesting because I don't know if you've seen the work uh, by a fellow American writer and researcher called James Clear, um, who has written the book, I believe it's called um, Dynamic Habits. Mm, no. It's something like that. I don't have it to hand. So unfortunately, if I've got that wrong, I apologize. And um, he, the thing that you just said there about um, taking on a new identity to move forward is exactly what he says. And he says that if we're trying to make habit change, um, it's best to embody a new identity and live that purely the right way. So, you know, I think a lot of runners can identify that when they move on from one just uh, one time to another or progress so whether that's from three hours to 240 whatever it might be um yeah you need to go back to the drawing board and say we're going to keep certain things in check you know we're going to keep up six runs a week or whatever it might be but what else do i need to become a 240 runner or, or whatever your your goal is what do i what do i need to change and what do i need to make routine and habit so maybe you've never done the strength work or you you've you've got to get different kinds of kit or you've got to eat different food you know a lot of people change their diets if they're gonna have to um you know do extra distance they've got to take on different calories and nutrition for instance and uh yeah i, I love this idea that you've picked up on sort of just naturally but uh, uh james um puts very explicitly well in his book that assume the identity of the person you want to become and start living that habit and that's what's going to get you to tick all the boxes off to get you to the goal, the big goal. Mm, that makes total sense to me because I think about it as uh, how it relates to the team I'm a part of, the Bowerman Track Club elite. We're not the pros, but we're the uh, working professionals who uh, still compete under the same name. Um, and as we welcome new members to our team, they certainly take on a whole new lifestyle. They're often very good runners uh, from different events, uh, but suddenly they're showing up uh, on Saturday morning every week and doing these long workouts with us. And at first it is you know, dramatic and very shocking to them, but over time they just get used to it. Um, and it, there's sort of this mutual reinforcing effect of, oh, this is okay to do. Um, and, you know, it's cold, it's January, but it makes a lot of sense to do. <laughs> It's a, you know, that uh, team mindset. Um, and then over time, they really are, at first they're able to, you know, benefit from our experience and their safety and knowing it's worked before. But then collectively, it's brought us as a team uh, to new heights because, you know, a half dozen or so of us are racing at, racing the marathon at a level that none of us were just a few years ago. So, um like you're saying, you add things, but then by the individual, um, but then collectively you're 
all able to reinvent. Um, and we will look back at the at the workouts we did years ago and think that was a great workout for us. I remember distinctly how well I felt and, you know, how proud we were of ourselves and then how we, uh, we went on to perform well at that marathon. Um, and so that built the momentum three years ago. Um, and now it's funny to look back and say, huh, we wouldn't be pleased with that workout result right now because we've come so far. Um, and I think some of the newer members of the team, they got to skip over those somehow. They were, <laughs> I'm still, I'm super impressed with how far they've come how, so quickly, but there, I think it, there is that mental confidence of we proved that this routine can pay off. Um, and as long as they don't hurt themselves, they were able to jump in and, you know, throw themselves into these long workouts, like four by four mile repeats, um, and not, not think that it's totally absurd, even though it is a bit absurd. <laughs> so if I was, if I was to come over to Portland tomorrow and, uh, try out with you guys, what would you, uh, from your experience say, or if anyone, not just me, if anyone came over and wanted to try out uh, for a session, what would you say that person needs to do mentally? Obviously, there's, it seems like, you know, you've got like tough routines that will physically test you. But what would you say is the mental thing, mental skills thing that a person would need to join in? Oh, yeah. How would they need to change identity or think or have mind, the mindset changed to... to the thing in. that I'm always most impressed by is the newcomers who are able to set aside their ego and look at the session that we're about to take on collectively and just say, okay, what part of this, how can I make best use of this session um, so that I can get out, I can get something out of it. Um, so we have members of our team who are trying to break 240 while uh, several of us have broken 220. And so finding a connection between all those athletes, it doesn't work if the, um, if everyone is bringing an ego to the session and trying to prove themselves that day. Um, you know, we're a really good team at setting aside uh, the need to prove to each other how fit we are uh, until race day. And so I've, we've had members join the team, um, come out and say, okay, you you all are running thousands. I'm going to run 800s and then I'll have more rest. And while, you know, that changes the workout in a number of ways when it's on that day, what's worthwhile is the participation together. Um, and so they're just flying along yeah. and they're practicing paces that are way faster than they're used to. But it, that for the day is the stimulus that they've come for. They can, you know, do any number of workouts on their own on other days and, you know, really dial it in, optimize for them. Um, but we have, you know, we were out there a couple of weeks ago doing that four by four mile session. And there were one or two guys who I hadn't seen in months. And I just thought, wow, you are a glutton for punishment. You are willing to jump in and, you know, find a pace and be maybe make it through half the workout, but really jump outside their comfort zone. Um, and while that's, you know, I think, they benefit from it. It certainly adds to the energy of the team. And, um, you know, collectively, the, those of us who've been showing up weekend after weekend, it, that is our new comfort zone. Um, you just get used to, oh, Saturdays, I'm going to feel uncomfortable, but there's going to be other individuals to help frame the session so that it's not, you know, too far outside what we're ready for. Um, and you just get used to it.
Cool, cool. And just in yourself, is there a, you said about a, taking on this new identity each time you have to go set goals. Is there anything specific you can um, share with anyone about one, one or two ways you've made that shift in your mindset that might help someone else who's trying to knock down their time, whether they're like a four or five hour marathon runner or a you know, sub three? Yeah, I mean, the things that I always come back to are that uh, the, the few fo- philosophies that our team has are around constantly touching all the different paces, but then also being not beating yourself up. I think the sport can really be hard on you if you think, okay, today is Saturday and it's a proving day and I have to put in a huge session and it will be proof that I'm both fit and that I'm tough and that I'm all these things that I've thought about during the week. Um, And what helps you step away from that is if you just give yourself a lot of chances to show up. So um, in a 12-week training cycle, we will do workouts that touch on uh, marathon pace, uh, you know, long runs that are sl- slightly slower than marathon pace will also touch on 10 K pace and even five K pace. Um, and each of those, one thing I got caught in a lot when I was a college kid was thinking if the pace was, let's say 72 second quarters, I wanted to be running faster than 72 second quarters. Cause that meant I was fitter. That meant I was better. And now that I'm 37, I realize, Oh, you know what? It's, each individual workout is only one part of the larger training stimulus. And really the pace on the day is a range. Um, And my, my closest friends who I've trained with the most, we will just naturally head out at those paces. We don't really talk about paces until maybe five minutes before the workout. Um, And that's when we kind of take stock of how fit and um, recovered we actually feel. And so, you know, I have friends who will glance at our watches and we'll sort of, we'll head out at the pace and then we'll glance at our watches. And because we've given ourselves a range, um, we'll just sort of naturally arrive at understanding, are we on the faster end of that range or the slower end? And trying, and we're pretty good at not beating ourselves up and saying, you know, oh no, we're too slow from the start. We got to ramp it up. Um, Sometimes you are just slightly tired and you need to let your body warm up. Sometimes it's just going to be, you know, if the the workout calls for eight repetitions, then those eight, uh, it's about keeping them all within the same zone and having a solid workout and not trying to prove that you're somehow super fit um, on that random Wednesday morning. I train with about six other men uh, who all seven of us will be going to Boston this year. And there's this feeling of, I, I try to describe it as once I got under, so I started out years ago as a um, marathoner breaking three, I ran 257 and I kind of figured, okay, that's it for the marathon for me for a while. (laughs) Um, and eight years later, I, um, actually the, so what happened was the Boston bombing occurred and, and I thought, you know, I want to run the next Boston. Uh, I think it's going to be this very important day in running history and it's very important to the community. And so I started training a little bit more and I qualified for Boston that summer um, and got a little injured, you know, overdid it a little bit as you tend to do as a distance runner, uh, but got things back together and I ran um, 2.41 at Boston 2014. And it was a wonderful day. Um, and But it was 
it was hard. It was certainly hard because it always is hard running a marathon. Um, And Boston is a hard course. (laughs) Boston is a hard course. Yeah. But it was, it was within myself um, because I was somewhat cautious. Um, And as I've gotten faster and faster over the preceding five years, um, the, the five years since the, it's reached a point where you just sort of say, okay, we're going to head out on this pace and hope nothing goes wrong as opposed to saying, um, I think it made me realize there was a threshold I crossed where before it, I definitely was thinking of, okay, what's a good pace I could head out at and no, I won't No, nothing will go wrong. It will get hard, but probably nothing will go wrong because I can, I know I can maintain this pace to once you start to latch your goals to external numbers and even qualifying marks, um, it's, it's much different. And it, um, me chasing 219, which I fell just short of in December has actually made me really, uh, associate with the men and women going after a Boston qualifier, even if it's half hour, even an hour slower, because I realized, um, that's a, that's a number set by someone else. And you just have to head out at that pace and then find out how you're going to perform. I, I absolutely identify that with, uh, with uh, as a runner and as a marathon runner myself. And, you know, I think one of the things just talking about the psychology, you know, your performance and your ethos, um, you know, you were, I think in your, in your work, your, you know, you, you've, you, there's a quote somewhere I saw about that you had said that understanding people as serving all athletes to push the boundaries of what is possible is like a kind of mantra that you, you kind of live by, a value that you, you really see. Mm. So mm-hmm. like hearing you say that about identifying with all runners and not kind of just being a snooty, you know, elite at the elite end, uh, you know, certainly says a lot about both your journey and yourself there. Um, and yeah, I don't um, know what you want. What, go on. I just I find it very inspiring to think about you know what each of us is capable of um, you know pulling out of ourselves on the day um, and I find the marathon to be endlessly fascinating because it's not so difficult from the start um, mm-hmm. I think that that introduces a different psychology and a different certainly a phys- different physiology mm-hmm. um, but the way that it builds and the way that the difficult part when you start is hours away, um, but you've already begun, um, Mm. I think lends itself to, I'm a pretty optimistic person. I'm a pretty, um, I'm, I sort of get through life by framing things in the positive of, okay, that even if that that was hard, what can we do next? Mm. Um, and I, and so having run, growing up, having run the mile, the two mile, 5k, 10k, um, there are some of those distances where it is, it's, I mean, you know, it feels hard from like the first lap. <laughs> 800 meters is second. a killer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 800 meters is a killer. But even the 5k, I has, is something somewhat of a nemesis of mine where it always, what I aspire to in the 5k has never really been possible for me. Um, I'm like a mid to low 15 minute runner. And I've always thought like, Oh, I want to be a 14 minute runner. But if I head out at 14 minute pace, I, my body's in shock very early. Um, and I tend to run like 
horribly positive splits. And it just kind of like, it's not a lot of psychology involved. I'm sure there's a lot of grit that could be involved, but um, it, in reality, I think I tend to head out in those races much far above my capacity. And um, it's a slow decline. Whereas the marathon, I've been able to find these lines. And so these lines of meaning, um, these thresholds of what if I ran this pace, I think I could run this pace. I've, I've run some of it. And, um, what's interesting about the pacing and the psychology is that a lot of, um, there's a lot of science now around the, uh, the fastest marathons being negative split and, mm. uh, that, you know, finishing faster than you start. Yeah. And the reality is that I've, backed in I call it like backing into success over and over again I tend to run <laughs> um positive split races but just barely um and hang on better than my peers hang on you know slightly better than the people around me um, yeah. I get in cer certainly in no way elite but like I embrace the you know getting to the final 10k and having it be really hard but really staying positive and staying in the moment, staying focused. Um, and, um, I found that fascinating. I found it like a fascinating way to race and to hit thresholds, um, or just barely miss thresholds mm. still. It's just, um, whereas a 10 K, you know, I've read all about the U curve of, um, pacing where people go up fast, they slow down a bit and then they kick. Um, mm. and, that's that while that's true um it feels like there's more fact enough factors in the marathon that then i, I get really obsessed with it and that's why it, what it's led me to run, uh, writing more about it and just really exploring you know um what i'm going through and how it relates to friends that are trying to break three hours or break four hours mm. so i really enjoy it yeah and that shines through in your writing um there's a wonderful piece peter wrote about um the relationship with his dad, who was very sick at the time, four or five years ago, I think. Yeah. And um, there, there's a pull quote that you've put in the article, and it's saying, running is our religion and the marathon is our worship, <laughs> which I thought was a beautiful kind of expression, both of, like, for anyone who's been a marathon runner, like, you know, kind of they understand that, and it has got a toxic allure to it that kind of seduces people. Um, but also, I guess, uh, talk about the relationship between you and your dad, uh, you know, kind of yeah. like the, you know, like you, you credit him with really pushing you into running or certainly lighting the fire that you then go and, you know, uh, run with it's, it, yeah. what, what do you yeah. say about that? It's, it's quite an interesting um, angle. He's, I mean, my dad is, um, he grew up a slow runner. Um, my joke the family joke is my mom must be fast, even though she never <laughs> ran because <laughs> both sons are faster. Um, but he loves, he's a, you know, very inquisitive man. He's always researching things. And so he's always interested in the nuances of the sport. Um, so it just becomes a thing that even though I grew up loving soccer, um, mm. you know, um, I played soccer all, all the way growing up. And then in high school, when we would do the, endurance training i got i wasn't getting much playing time but i was far ahead of the team um mm. during the running portion i realized this is probably the future for me so um <laughs> i still um you know i and as i leaned more into running um the conversations with my father became richer about like the history of the sport um what he had 
because the whole sport used to be a bit of a mess in the 60s and 70s when my dad was around it. Um, so my dad was not fast, but he would be at the road races or um, having, it was just a small sports world and he met a lot of these people. Um, and so, you know, and he was also out here in Oregon. So mm. he was around some of the um, the road racing scene, particularly of these uh, people who, these men and women who just didn't know about it. They were just learning what the sport was about and they would throw themselves at it. Um, and, you know, it, families are hard. There's always so many ups and downs. Um, <laughs> so it, it's nice to have shared interests where, um, you know, when things happen out in the world, um, you shoot each other a note and say, like, did you see that? Did you see this? Or yeah. this was impressive. I thought this was interesting. Um, my father is so into sport that in 20, 2003, he read an outdoor magazine article about how you could go to Kip Kano's training camp and potentially um, in the 20, 2004 Olympics, you know, you could watch the track and field uh, championships and, and they see the gold medalist and say, that's my friend. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so he, um, he actually, my brother was in high school and I was in just after college. Um, mm. And he um, bought us each a ticket to Eldoret. Um, and we, we flew to, uh, Nairobi and then drove in a little bus to Eldoret and we trained, we quote unquote trained with, um, the athletes at the camp for two weeks, um, and got to know a man, um, who we didn't know much about at the time. His name was Ezekiel Kemboy. Um, and he went on to win the gold medal in the steeplechase later later that year. Um, and we were able to say, Oh wow, that's our friend. Uh, you know, he was, <laughs> he was, a uh, he, so it was this amazing connection to, um, you know, a way to see the world. Um, my parents have traveled a decent amount and, mm. um, you know, you're not going to send a high school kid and a college kid just r randomly around the world, but, um, it became a reason to go all the way across the world. And, um, we had a really, wonderful time just sitting in this training camp, um, you know, going for three runs a day or barely because mm. as an American, you're not really ready to do that. <laughs> um, but, um, yeah, you know, fast forward a decade and I was running the Chicago marathon and I was excited to try to run uh, six minute pace. I decided yeah. again, I think a lot of marathoning is about finding the right goal. And mm -hmm. finding a goal that both it means something to you, but then is within your somewhat within your capacity. Yeah. Um, people write to me all the time and say, I want to do this or I want to do that. And, um, you know, a lot is written about audacious goals these days. And yeah. it's a little bit, uh, it leaves me a little speechless sometimes because I don't always know what to tell people if they say are a, you know, three hour marathoner and they want to run like under, 240 or under 230. Um, I, I sort of say to them, well, you know, why are you skipping over all these other potentially meaningful uh, milestones that you could train for? I have like, because I, again, I, as I ramped up my running, I got more and more into marathoning it almost as a surprise to myself. I didn't <laughs> set, set out saying I want to run under 220. Um, when I was at two. 50 marathoner. So I really had meaningful races. I ran Boston 2014 and, um, ran 241 mm. and my friends were like, Hey man, that was great. You know, they, they all beat me, mm. but they were like, 
it sort of when the chip settled and like we were back getting a beer they're like hey bronco ran a pretty good race and i was like thanks that was mm. you know 241 went well and so then the next fall um again i just sort of grab onto these meaningful things from friends like a friend said to me uh a friend who was less fit than me and very unprepared said i always thought i could run six minute pace for the mile for a whole marathon um <laughs> and i said like wow i'd never thought about that um yeah, this guy, he's a wonderful man. He has all sorts of interests, and he never trains enough to do it. Um, he probably is physically capable if he really put himself mm-hmm. to it. But he, um, so when it came to Chicago, a very flat course, I said, you know what, I'm going to try to do, I'm going to try to do six minutes mm-hmm. per mile for the marathon. Uh, again, a bit arbitrary, but what was, I wrote about it in the essay. What was fascinating was because it's a threshold, there tends to be grouping around that threshold yeah. so i was able to find this amazing pack of men um from around the world because chicago is such an yeah. international race world um, major. yeah and so when i fell in with all these people from around the world it was really exciting um and it just builds momentum and builds uh, makes the experience so incredible and that's where i think um a lot of my passion for marathoning comes from is it's it's such a methodical and almost dull sport but Mm. i approach it from like really emotional really fired up um and just trying to balance the two trying to like bottle up all that excitement until the moments when you can you're really really in it um and yeah it's it's been a really interesting experience to you know, in some ways borrow from what my dad did, but then I've also taken marathoning well past, um, anything my dad ever did. He qualified for Boston once. Um, and I'll be running it for the sixth time this year. So, I mean, you look for meaning, um, in these ways and I mean, not to get too, um, philosophical, but I, I have a friend, you know, we're both in our late thirties and he was Mm -hmm. saying, you know, uh, just thinking about life, starting to think sort of philosophically about <laughs> the meaning of life. And I said, you know, I, I can appreciate that that's a, a lot to think about. Um, and honestly, sometimes I think as a runner, I benefit from being able to avoid a bit of that because I'm able to, for instance, over the next three months, I'm able to think about April um, yeah. and running Boston and focusing my life in pursuit of, um, you know, at work and family. Um, uh, but then also very, even socially, I'll hear from people I haven't talked to in a few weeks or months and they'll say like, how are things tracking in pursuit of Boston? Um, and it creates this near term piece of meaning, yeah. which again is, you know, it's just a hobby, but it's also, um, it's easier to think about and to mentally digest than thinking about what are your goals for 2019? Yeah, you know what? What do you professionally want to achieve? I, I see that in your writing. That that really comes across. The there's a word in psychology uh, which gets used called communitas. And you know, mm. if you're if you're in a tribe, whether that's like you know, like Grateful Dead music fans or you know, marathon runners, there's that kind of I've described it as the glint in the eye when you meet someone and you you can just you just look at each other and you go, I'm quite like you. And, you know, you understand some of that person's motivations and drives in a, in a really good way. And, you know, I think I, my pet theory, if we're going back to what my pet theory was with Ed Caesar, was about that he was 
looking at endurance and that was something that underpinned his work and he said it was actually more about irreversible moments in their life I wonder mm. whether your writing around the marathon is kind of like you're reaching out to share um, this communitas, this love yeah. of, of the discipline with other people and, you know, kind of encouraging people along that you can do this for whatever your relative docket is or just, you know, kind of sharing the enthusiasm of the experience. Yeah, I mean, when I wrote the essay about my father in Chicago, I still think it's one of the best things I've ever written, but it also kind of came out of nowhere. So I enjoy writing, mm. but I don't I don't write in any other manner that um <laughs> Oh, it's okay. Yeah, go on. enjoy writing. I enjoy writing, but I don't write as a uh like a writer does, um like a professional writer in any manner. You know, you hear I've listened to podcasts or read um articles about professional writers and how they have a routine and they do it every day in order to improve. Um, I sat down with a pint and wrote <laughs> most of that essay just as it like came rushing out of my mind because of how much it had occurred simultaneously. Yeah. Um, and funny enough, I ended up once it was finished sending it to Andy Burfoot, the previous uh, editor of runner's world. And he wrote back and he said, you know, Peter, thanks for sending this. I get a lot of these, and to be honest, most of them are crap. Um, and this one isn't crap. I, I appreciate, I enjoy it. Uh, I said, thank you so much. It means so much to me to hear you say that. I have no idea where it came from. And he said, mm -hmm. yeah. Uh, he, re he replied again and said, that's often the case with some of these stories that um, some of the best stories uh, you you know you work on a lot, and some of them you just have no idea where they came from in his experience of decades of uh, writing. So I was felt fortunate with that. When it comes to the rest of the writing, I think it has been, um, you know, an elaborate form of journal keeping for myself. Um, this feeling of because I've improved step by step, um, I truly have hit, I've run at least a half dozen races where I thought some point in the race, this might be the fastest you ever run a marathon in your entire life. Do not mess it up now. Yeah. Um, and then once I finished it thinking that might be the best race I ever run, I want to, you know, capture it in some manner and write it down and, and document because, um, you know, life's going to move on and there will be all sorts of things that cloud your memory about what the moments were like. Um, and I, I even, I, I debate in my mind the different ways of describing it. Um, you know, pe somewhat people refer to it as a blog post. Like, I really like your blog post about it. Um, <laughs> and I always kind of bristle at that because I pour hours into these write-ups. And I certainly yeah. don't. I think of a blog post as totally respectable, but something you maybe do once a week, mm. twice a week, once a couple times a month. Um, whereas I, you know, I've written about a dozen pieces around seminal races that I've run and really tr think of them as written, you know, an essay or, or a written piece. Yeah. Um, Long form is what I describe what you're writing. Yeah. 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 I think that's a fair, um, which is not a knock on people who can write eloquently in a blog post. Um, that's a really good thing to be able to do. And I don't do that. Um, so when I've documented these pieces, I sometimes it really is these ideas form in my mind. And then I, um, whether it's around a race or around a topic, I wrote the piece, um, the marathon doesn't owe you anything. Um, <laughs> I need this, to talk to you about this. <laughs> okay. Yeah. 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 Um, and what's funny is I sometimes look back at some of the paragraphs in those, in that piece, um, or uh, I wrote a piece about um, the Boston marathon last spring that I ended up 
um, just giving to runner's world. Cause I said, I want this. It was sort of how I think about the course. And I, I gave it to them because I was curious of what it would like be like to get to a piece to a larger audience. Um, and, but I, I look at some of the paragraphs in those pieces and I think, I don't even, it's almost like I blacked out. I'm like, where did that come from? I don't remember <laughs> thinking analytically, um, even though I went back and edited each, you know, paragraph to make sure I, I try to almost get into a moment of what am I really thinking about and feeling in whether it's the start, the middle, um, certainly the end, um, and channel those emotions. And then once it's out of me, I kind of look back and I'm like, where did that come from? <laughs> wow. Well, I mean, in, in everything you've probably spoken about in the last few minutes, there's, I could probably go down tons of different avenues with understanding and my knowledge and the, the, the field uh, yeah, of psychology. Of um, uh, I will pick up on the uh, the thing about uh, what you said about the marathon as you nothing because it came out a few days or weeks before I ran Berlin, which is my first oh, yeah yeah my first marathon in some like six years and I'd had uh, hernia surgery it was sixteen weeks I think it was before oh. the race so my rehab was marathon training oh. <laughs> my poor body didn't know what it put itself through. Uh, but I kind of was lucky enough to have a couple of days in Berlin just on my own um, prior to the race. And uh, I kind of do a lot of travel with what I do. I meet a lot of people and work with different clients and to have some free time where it's just me. And I read that piece voraciously and I'm, it really helped keep me going because I kind of oh. hit a wall at 14 and my calves were like two blocks of lead. Uh, <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> and I was like, yeah, this marathon doesn't owe me anything, but... Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Thanks for that, Pete. <laughs> yeah, um, you're welcome. Um, I mean, the, the t just go back to the writing. There's a couple of things there because this is. It's, I love this crossover between um, what you're saying with um, what your your process for running and your process for writing. And I'm seeing two, two tracks going on there. You know, there's the team element that you love. You know, like I didn't quite until I sort of had to sit down and prep for this. I hadn't realised how much you know you there's a lot where running is a solo sport often and but for the way you do it you make it into a team event in your training with the Bowman guys and you know the group that you did the training for uh sacramento if yeah for, yep. for the purpose of listeners um pete's last piece that he put out about uh the sacramento marathon was how he and i think four or five friends were uh all trying to break the american qualifying olympic time and uh if if you've got a spare 10 or 15 minutes and a cup of tea, sit down and read it. Because even though you tend to know what the outcome is, it's just he really articulates what he went through and it's accessible to people who aren't even marathon runners is the way I depict it. Um, but then when you finish writing these, when you finish the actual running, um, then your writing is almost like a cathartic experience to park the race um that that's what it yeah. kind of sounds like uh capture it as you say but also to kind of make sense of it and i think that's mm -hmm. what your point with um you know the marathon owes you nothing is that you know kind of you you, you do all that training and then on the day you, you you turn up on the start line you run the best race you can and then you try and make sense of it a week or two later about what the hell happened there because it's just not as binary as small or distance races where you kind of know up front if you've done the training you'll probably get the result is that fair? Yeah. Um, and I think it allows me, what's funny is 
leading up to a race, a marathon, it's going to be so hard that, you know, it's, it's daunting to think about. Like you imagine you mm. leading up to Berlin, you really want to get your mind into the right space. Um, and you compartmentalize, you think about the different sections of it. Um, you break down what your plan is for the different moments and you've prepared for different, you know, to different degrees for, for those different levels. Um, what has blown my mind and it shouldn't is now that I've written a race report, uh, a long form piece about races, I'll have people bump into me two days before a race and say, I can't wait to read your piece after uh, the race. And I almost get angry. I'm like, how um, presumptuous that they think I'm going to write, you know, a 3000 word because mentally I'm not ready at, you know, five days removed before, um, a race. I'm like, I, I can't even think about running the race, let alone running the race and then writing a multi-thousand word report. Oh, um, <laughs> like stop it. But if sure enough, um, you know, they're just inferring from his, the recent history and mm -hmm. I am probably going to write it up into a report. And so I, this most recent one about the California international race and how it, um, we headed out the five of us, four of us really with, um, or five of us with intent to try to break 219 and qualify for the Olympic mm -hmm. trials, uh, next year. And, um, just again, you have to be so in the moment. Um, the, it sounds super cliche and I typically stay away from, uh, I really try to, I try to stay away from cliches. I, I don't find that too much motivation in, uh, motivational quotes. Mm. Um, but there's that famous quote, confine yourself to the present. Um, yeah. and I actually find that to be the only motivational quote that I can come back to, which is truly, um, you know, if you can with running, if you can just run the next block or the, like, the next straightaway, mm. um, that I found in my hardest races dating back to 2016 in Boston, um, I, as I started to get overwhelmed by the pressure of the, what was left to run in the race, if I just tried to run like to the end of the block, um, mm -hmm. if I just looked there and said, okay, if I, I can run there, um, and in the momentarily blocked out the pressure of the 10 miles I had left, um, <laughs> yeah. that, that worked for me. And I find it often works. Um, you know what it, I've heard, I've come across other people write a, write about this as well, that it, in, for them sometimes is more about the daunting, um, panic of, Oh no, I have to continue this for another hour versus, mm. um, you know, the actual sensation of pain or discomfort in the moment. Um, cause it's like, well, yeah, you know, it's not great, but it's not that bad. Um, mm. but if I think about this for the next hour, I can't mentally handle it. So, um, I think that's a lot of what the benefit of having the teammates out there with is what I find in debriefing with other people who are not us, um, is there are, there are so many moments in a marathon when you can allow yourself to become overwhelmed. And I see it when I, when I'm landing in a city, um, yeah. I fly there and, and I'm, I bump into runners. I don't know, but they're clearly athletes who are going to run the race. And I can tell they're already anxious and you know, I'm anxious, but I've done this a dozen times. Um, but I'm also meeting my friends and to the reality is, you know, heading out to the start 
were together. And so there's this sense of this is under control and this isn't something um, extreme or wild beyond our control. Um, and it even relates to this theory I have around running back from being a track athlete, which is that like truthfully, you, when I would get a little bit overwhelmed, I would return to this idea that you can't overperform in track Mm-hmm. really um and you can only sort of manage relative levels of underperforming um because if if you sort of think about it i'm not a sports uh exercise uh doctor but you know you have limits to your body's ability and yeah. you you can try to find that line and perform up to it and when when framed around the ways that you could run worse um sort of everything is right in front of you. Like, Oh yeah, uh, I need to eat the right things. I need to sleep the right amount. I need to not get so, but when nerves start to build up, you realize like, Oh, so much of this, um, could easily prevent me from running to my best. Um, and so there becomes with my friends and I who, you know, put in these training blocks of months after months, there becomes this matter of factness, almost like doing, just doing a task and saying, you know, we're not going to not do the task. We're not going to not put ourselves in a position to run a good race because we're each looking at each other with the expectation that the other one will. Um, and people will write me about their running from around the world. Um, and they'll say, I train in the snow by myself, you know, off here uh, over there. And I'm so inspired by the running you do. And I think I write back like, man, that sounds so hard. (laughs) Um, I not only live in a nice part of the world where, you know, Portland is fairly temperate, but I, I do, I train with other people. Um, so on days where I wouldn't think I could do it solo, um, there's an expectation of, okay, on Saturday we'll meet up and we're going to run 16 miles at marathon pace. (laughs) And it just is totally absurd except for four other friends are doing it. And you think, I think in the best way possible, you look at your friends and you think, well, if they can do it, I can probably do it. Um, And minus that, I don't know how much of it is true because the reality is we can't always do it. And sometimes guys do skip workouts if they're like, you know, I'm a little banged up or I'm a little sick. Um, But there's this general momentum of the the group. And, and, you know, I've really, it's made me really um, associate with these training groups around the world. Um, Mm -hmm. and like you're saying, these musicians, um, these groups of people who team up and set an expectation, but also, you know, fall in together and help each other. Um, it's very different than an individual. I I've gotten far enough from, um, being that individual runner that I can't, I can't imagine some of these professionals who, for one reason or another live in solo situations and go to the track, um, just solo and hit it as hard as they can. And, uh, are able to get great running out of themselves because I've done it. Uh, I can, I can do some workouts solo, but the general gist of my training is done with others and mm-hmm. with this general expectation of, okay, we'll be in this, we'll be in this range. And I don't always, I'm not always able to keep up or sometimes on occasion I'm able to get ahead. Um, 
but the general uh, zone that we fall into is this uh, agreed upon expectation yeah. um, that, I, that I don't think would have come about um, solo, I, almost for sure. Yeah, I mean, I know that from, I mean, certainly the science of human behavior, uh, we go back to a really primal level that you can eke out performances and accountability by getting people to do stuff together. And even if people don't feel mm. up for it, they, if they've got someone that they need to be accountable to and don't want to let down, then they're going to push themselves that extra bit to do whatever it is. And you can go back to a level of something like um, uh, when someone's on a diet and um, mm. they're saying, you know, um, you know, you, you bring a, a partner into it and say, look, you know, I, I really want to stop eating cookies or cake, you know, <laughs> please, please make <laughs> sure that you stop me doing it. And, you know, the self-control is not there, but if they say, hold me to account, it's not the self-control that they're sort of dealing with there. The, the partner, you know, like letting the partner yeah. down is going to mean more to them. So that's how yeah. often yeah, in group situations uh, we, we will show up um, because we don't want to let the other one down. And that kind of, you know, your your methods certainly seems to aspire to that. And, you know, it just, it just push you out of your zone. You know, I certainly have to think about sessions and races I've done where, you know, you are with teammates and, you know, you, you go that a little bit further. <clears throat> well, I also think there's a, there's a positive side and a negative side to the coin. So you're in a major marathon. Um, I'm surrounded by other men who are my ability. Um, and in theory, I should be racing them you know i want mm. almost out of anger wanting to beat them but if you think about the duress your body is under it's easy when you're under that much strain to start to paint a picture that you know the man next to you is probably fitter or he's probably faster um or just in some way gonna be going to be able to you know if he if he's pulling away let's say mm. he's probably better off um, and it's just a manifestation of him, uh, what he's capable of versus if it's your friend, uh, I, it could be the social obligation of, um, you know, I owe it to him, but it's also, well, that's Chris. I know mm. I've beaten Chris in workouts and I know, or I know Chris has beaten me, but only by, you know, a hundred meters over two hours of running. So mm. I should be able to stick to him. So Patrick is a good friend of mine and he's, um, uh, progressed, uh, on a similar trajectory as me. And we ran the Boston marathon two years ago. We didn't run together, but he was a hundred meters ahead of me, maybe mm -hmm. for the last 16 miles. Um, and I really tried to continue to close that gap and I, mm -hmm. I couldn't because he was running well, but at the same time I could, I could find him on the horizon. And it was a feeling of if he, you know, because the end of the Boston marathon becomes dreadfully hard and you're just like, <laughs> Oh, this is horrible. Um, but I would see him up there and I think if he's doing this, I'm doing it. it. You know, it makes me think of some of those experiments where they ask you to do something to failure. Um, mm. and the relative, you know, this better than me, but you know, the relative performance of different individuals of when the different test groups and when they decide to stop, um, you're not going to decide to stop per se in the marathon uh, at Boston, unless mm. something's really wrong, but mm. you can back off. And, um, but if you have your friend, you know, right ahead of you or right behind you, you think, okay, no, like this isn't totally insane. Mm. We can do this versus the guy who you come up on 
or is pulling away from you who you've never met before. And you think, well, maybe he's just faster than me. Uh, I don't know. Um, Mm. You know, so that's sort of where my mind comes from. I think some people are able to channel more anger um, and more like sheer competitiveness. I've, I've gotten along. I've made it a long ways without actually being that competitive or like, Mm. you know, core driven by competition. If that Mm. makes sense. Yeah. So it's not about beating the other person. It's more about excelling in your own, to your own standards. That's what drives yeah, you. Until, until the very end. It just doesn't, what I've learned is it doesn't get me that far. It can get me far. It can get me somewhere if, I, if it really reaches like the last little bit. But I know that it won't, it's not, it's like a quick burst and it won't sustain me for very long. Yeah. And I guess the other thing is if you're running in a pack of, people for 26 miles you've got the benefits of drafting and saving that energy mm-hmm. that you need to stretch over 26 miles and so if you decide to break away from the pack it's like in uh, the tour de france where you know you get the crazy guy who decides to try and shoot off on his own and get to the finish before everyone but <laughs> often they just get reeled back in by the packs energy yeah, saving absolutely. formation um, absolutely and i'm actually it's funny i say all this because i'm known for being overly emotional amongst my teammates i'm known for being a bit overly like emotional within the moments of workouts or long runs or where i'll i will push off lead a little bit at times when you know realistically i'm not the fittest or i'm not i shouldn't be leading <laughs> um and so i it's something i try to uh temper um because I know that like rationally I should probably just slip in. Um, yeah. But at the same time, the mind and body do really weird things over 90 minutes, two hours of um, marathon training where you'll mm-hmm. just have these pockets of feeling fantastic and these pockets of feeling dreadful um, yeah. and can't always explain it. And, but then need to, um, you know, need to manage both. Yeah. And uh, I just thinking about my run yesterday, I suddenly had a moment of uh, <laughs> dire, dire, like make it stop. And I actually was thinking of quitting after say 10 miles. And I was just like, no, ride out the next mile, see how you are at that point. Mm. And um, heading into a headwind of about 50 miles an hour, you know, <laughs> probably didn't help things. <laughs> yeah. um, no. But there's something you, you, you wrote in a, one of your pieces about how like you were in a marathon and like you knew you had about an hour to go and you had that voice saying you want to quit. And yeah. you, you kind of caught yourself having that thought. And what I didn't pick up from the rest of the article, and I don't remember which of the marathons you're talking about, but maybe it does ring, you can remember. How did you ride out that feeling with an hour to go and kind of keep on task to finish? Um, well, I mean, the most recent one where I was trying to run 219, yeah, 218, yeah. 59 pace, um, I had I had nine months prior posted an essay called Burn the Boat, which is, yes. you know, a metaphor yeah. for... Um, and when I forget when it's from, it's a classic metaphor for like the only way past is forward because you, the leader has burned the boats. And so there's no getting back in the boats to go backwards. I think it's um, a Viking. Yeah. Thing. Yeah. The yeah. Vikings would go to a war and burn the boat and then say, right, we're going to take over this place. We're going to take. So I was using the, you know, overly dramatic <laughs> uh, historical <laughs> reference to say like the only way we're going to get to this qualifier is to really post online i chose to because i tend to post online um also yeah. say like i'm going to play this to my advantage and i'm going to say to the world like 
we're going to try this. Um, and so I had posted that nine months before the race and it was as much about pu- putting it out there so that I, um, put in the training I mm. knew necessary because I yeah. knew that I needed to train at a new level than I, that I had previously. So if I typically ran about 10 miles a day, I knew I needed to get that up. Um, mm. and if I, and I knew I needed to start physiologically, um, from months and months and months out. Um, so I needed to adjust to a new level of training mm. and I, so I posted that and people kind of uh, responded and, you know, we're like, hell yeah, this is great. Um, but also it made me realize, okay, if I'm going to do that in December, it means I needed to be able to do the training in October and November, which means I need to be able to be strong enough to withstand that training. So that training needs to happen in April and May. Um, and so by putting that out there, I was able to do a lot of the training. Um, I was able to mentally focus enough to do a lot of the training. And then when I, so to set the scene about an hour to go in the marathon, I was still roughly on pace, but my two of my teammates had three of my teammates had rocketed off the front and mm. I was now al- alone in a bubble. Mm. Um, and when I looked around, I could see that other men were dropping out, um, or falling off. Mm. Men I recognized as, you know, fast individuals, but, um, I re- I had been aware of other people saying, Oh, I'd like, to, you know, in the, weeks preceding the race saying, Oh, I'd like to run the trials standard as well. Mm. Um, and I thought, well, that's nice of them to declare it. Okay. That's helpful, Mm. um, to know what they're up to. But at the same time, when you're watching them drop out, you think, okay, they had a rather short uh, window of saying they want to do it. And now that window is over. Mm. Um, (laughs) whereas what I realized was like, Oh no, I declared this nine months ago. Um, and, you know, I've, I've really keyed in on excuses, um, over the years, like, um, and the existence of them or lack thereof, because Mm. what I, I I look back at races and things I posted online and it became clear that I've come back to excuses a lot because when you get really tired and you're under a lot of duress, it's easy. Your mind starts like rapidly searching for reasons why it can't happen and you need to stop. Um, Mm. and so it, as much, it's often as much about preparing for races as much about, you know, planning out how you're going to do it for me as it is thinking through all the reasons it really should go well and sort of dispelling with the excuses you might want to come to when you're tired. Um, so is that what you do in training on the tough runs? You know, like you, you, you posted before about stuff like the 20 mile tempo run, which for people, um, don't know it is a session where you're running about 10 to 15 seconds quick the marathon pace is that right yeah yeah uh, yeah so we do different forms of like 20 miles slightly slower and then like 16 miles at the same at the expected pace but you know when you're still tired so all these things mm. certainly the training but then also just thinking about um it is about the training but it's also about the preparation from the sleep from the uh, nutrition you know just knowing that like you are largely capable of what you're doing um and you know um when when i ran new york in 2015 my son was six months old and it was as much about reminding myself that he was starting to sleep through the night and Mm. i couldn't no matter how tired i got use that as an excuse like oh my son's not sleeping i'm not sleeping Mm. well um we were sleeping fine and Mm. that i needed to actually close that box mentally um so that 
when I got tired in the race, I didn't go there and start to feel sorry for myself. So um, did you have a kind of uh, alternative thought that you had kind of inserted into your head to overcome the, oh, well, it's down to my son not sleeping? Did you have a response? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I really had, I, well, I just had sort of gone through and said like, okay, I did do the long runs and those happened. Okay, so like the legs should be there. And my son, I knew sort of my enough about myself to know like, there had been periods of time in the last six months where I hadn't slept well, but you know, the, those periods were over. So I, mm. I didn't need to think about that. I was going to get plenty of rest before the race. Um, so again, when it, in this December race, when it started to get really hard, I thought, okay, um, you know, like you're saying, binding your performance to other individuals and saying, you know, I have to do it for them. It's not, I don't think of it as much as like, of it they need me to do it. But I think like when this is all said and done, they will have expected and that they would be well within their right to ask me, like, did you, was there a reason you had to slow down? Was there a reason you had to stop? Mm. Um, um, and I have friends who, you know, I write about one of them who had been training through injury. So when he is, when he kind of hit the wall, he hit the wall hard and yeah. he had to, stop. he had to stop. Uh, and mm. none of us, held it against him because we thought, yeah, you, we were amazed he made it that far. Whereas that really hadn't been my experience. And, um, I've, what I have really tried to do in marathon training is think about, okay, you, you can have your goal, which is your high end, but mm -hmm. then the low end is, it might not be where you want it to be. Um, but it, it's somewhere and it's not as low of a pace as, feels good or feels, um, comfortable or, um, that you might be willing to fall to yeah. if you, um, if you allow yourself to indulge. Um, so it's about keeping, so it's, keeping sort of minimizing the damage and keeping as close to your goal pace as much as you can in the circumstances, what you're saying. Mm -hmm. There's a, and to sort of underpin that, there's a really, just what you said there about having, um, an alternative positive thoughts, uh, the thing about slowing or, you know, kind of having an excuse. There's a great clip by Lauren Flesh Fleshman. That, mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think that's her name. Yeah. Um, that I've used a lot. And I used with the musicians, actually. And she's talking, I think, at Foot Locker at a talk. And she's saying that in her training and her racing, she used to get the negative thoughts we all get. And she literally sat down, listed out all the negative thoughts, and then, like, like as in a court of law, for every negative one, she had, "What's my response going to be that's better than that?" In the same uh, way, you're yeah. saying that you know you would not use the excuse about your child, you know, being awake. You would instead say, "Well, actually, I've done all my long runs, and I never had, you know, like I, I got through it," and that would be your positive. Yeah. So if you find that clip on YouTube, uh, it's only about two minutes long. Like, yeah. uh, I encourage the musicians when they were doubting their. That's excellent. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think to do something like that. I think about the musicians and their sheer ability to perform. You know, at the top of their class. Um, I had a. I write a, again in that piece about December. About later in the race, my mind went to a friend of mine who I always think of as a very tough runner. She mm. is now. She doesn't compete anymore. But in college, she was on the women's team, and I was on the men's team at university. And um, she was very tough. Um, you know, I could tell she in races really dug deeply and raced very hard. And so in the lead up to this race, she said, she had written to me something and she said, run fast because you can. Wow. And I thought that was really poignant. She's a writer. So she's 
very articulate. Um, but it was that moment. I think that hit me with about six miles to go, five miles to go. And it's that feeling of, yeah, your body's starting to fatigue. And so you're coming up with all the reasons why you shouldn't be able to match pace. But then if you flip it and say like, I've trained a lot to run fast. Um, I am capable of running fast. Let me see how fast I can run. Um, it's a little bit of a mind game, but it is exploring how, just how fast you can run and trying to find that line as opposed to spending all that. Cause you have a lot of time inside your own head to think about all the reasons um, so I would think that would apply for the musicians, certainly like mm. play well because they are amazing musicians, not, you know, choke. It, it's again, like you, if you yeah. focus on choking, I'm sure it's more likely. Yeah. It's like, don't think of pink elephants. You think of pink elephants. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Um, really, really true point. And, um, you know, if you've got something as powerful as that from someone who's, uh, you know, it seems to really resonate with you. So you could just pull on it straight away. You've got it there ready to go and you're like you know as soon as the doubt appears you're able to knock it out with with that phrase because that person means a lot to you and it meant a lot to to get it and you know yourself if you've trained your body the the, the difference between the training run and the race apart from it a slightly longer distance is because you're in a pressure situation you know you've described how you know you've you've made this commitment to transform by marathon training and you want to be part of something to see when where you are when you're exposed that's yeah. that's that's from your writing uh, sort of uh, yeah. down, and it was just like wow yeah you know it's kind of like you, you you only have you and yourself to answer to but you know we're certainly if you've got a lot of teammates that you're you've trained with you know you've got a little bit of accountability you know you know at the end of the race there'll be you know post-race beers and uh what happened to you then what, what went on and um you know how you how you perceive your race and describe it yeah i mean it's it's a pretty great feeling to know that you got everything out that you could on the day. Um, and that's where the, the, the goals, you know, always know there's probably more you could have done. I mean, there's all the, there's always that, like the, the idea of if your life depended on it, which it doesn't in a hobby. Mm -hmm. Um, but the, the thing I've focused on is it's not that I'm by any means the best at running the last 10 K but I wrote the whole piece around that marathon doesn't owe you anything and the, the details within that piece, because I heard a lot of people telling me about their last 10 K of a marathon and saying it was so hard because of this. It was so hard because of that. And just trying to say like, it's okay. I mean, it's supposed to, it is hard. It's supposed yeah. to be hard. Um, and the thing that I found we try to mimic in our training is a lot of uh, practices where we get tired and then we, practice running fast um even because it's very awkward it's very physically awkward you know you feel kind of like you're wobbly and you feel like um it sure it hurts in this way or that way but it also just feels like a weird sensation um and so i hear a lot of people you know i have been fortunate enough knock on wood to not have you know major cramping or fall over because due to you know my legs giving out. Um, but you, you hear a lot about people saying I, my legs just felt dreadful. And I'm like, well, yeah, I mean, that's just the nature of that event. Mm. Um, and so then can you practice that and can you almost shift over to, uh, trying to run as fast as you can while your legs are awkward. Um, 
And but it's also uh, it's also a mindset thing, Peter. Like one one thing which you said earlier is that you you know you know that last ten k of a marathon is like the make or break time, and the way you were describing it is like other people run away from it, but you embrace what's to mm. come. You know, like an almost masochist kind of mindset. <laughs> it's like it's going to really hurt, and for me, it's like the challenge of um, trying to like you know beat that beat that ten k that six miles. And, you know, kind of put, you know, almost, you know, you use the bird, the boats thing about going into war. Yeah. You know, that it feels like that if you go and, you know, we know this from uh, performance psychology, that if you go and embrace what you've got to yeah. face, you're more likely to succeed than if you fear it. Gotcha. Um, yeah. No, that makes and, sense. If, yeah. you, if you shy away from it. Um, and that's the thing. There's, there's just so much data because so many people run marathons and you can see it all that mm. um, of just true, but particularly with Strava nowadays, like mm. just like real slowing at the end of these races and yeah. real. Um, and so, yeah, I think I've started to, when I see that it helps me flip it from um, it's not, it's like you're avoiding that, um, you know, that rather than settling into that saying, you know, the natural thing to do would be to slow about a minute per mile now. Yeah. Um, but let's by any means necessary, um, just like cycle, find some motivation to, uh, to keep going because maybe I can keep going. Um, and that, yeah, you, you, were, you, I mean, I, I, I kind of picked through a couple of articles and one of the things you were doing is you, you said you're using landmarks to kind of, if I just run to that tree or that corner, you know, just get to that bit, then get to that bit. And that's staying in the moment because you're only yeah. looking that little part. It's a very tiring way to do it, but it, it probably does work. Um, and then you also were saying in Sacramento race, you know, like you had a mantra of like, I can, I can, I can, even when you were slowing, you kind of like yeah. pushing, pushing hard on that, on that. Yeah. Is that, is that, is that correct? Is that how, how it was? It is that. And mm. I think particularly by the end of a marathon, you your body starts to lock into a certain uh, cadence or, you know, that you want to keep a certain way, but also your mind starts to feel just trapped inside of like, just this torment of like, ah, this is horrible. Um, and I mean, I do not just because Paula Radcliffe set the world record, but like there was a lot documented about her, how hard she worked and how hard she raced. Um, the idea of like counting to 50 and then counting yeah. to 20 and then counting to 10. Um, it's sort of just sometimes it works. You know, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It works. Um, and it's, it's, it's really dull, but uh, it's also like, okay, this officially, I remember my very first marathon years ago, I was, uh, reached some point and I was like, this is officially not fun. Um, <laughs> and I'm, I was really feeling sorry for myself. Um, but what I, so then what I try to do is come flip it and compartmentalize and, you know, say, cause I run enough track races. So then I get, when I get to five miles to go, yeah. I just try to think about, um, you know, in the university, I was asked to run five miles for my team, really hard, probably above my ability. And I, I raced some races that I wouldn't be particularly proud of the time, but I, um, I went through a lot. It was very hard. And so I, when I get to each of those, like you're saying, the, the half mile is the hardest race that exists. It's just horrible. Um, so even when I get to the last half mile of a marathon, I think like, this is going to be horrible, but I've done horrible half miles before. Um, yeah. So you try to break it down like that. 
Cool. Yeah. I mean, I, this is the thing about, you know, get super marathon this talking, you could spend all day, all <laughs> yeah. these different techniques. But I get, you know, like, I like, I like the, the thing for me that kind of comes through from your writing is kind of which shows and kind of we know from performance psych about kind of going deeper than that about like what's your motivation and you know you must have Simon Sinek talking about what is your why and yeah. I, I kind of make my uh, make make runners I work with kind of like go into the detail what's your why what you know what's going to be your underpinning reason why you're doing this and kind of like you know you've put about how it can be your dad your family that's that's something there but in terms of you know, you've got so many different quotes where you've made tried to be making sense of all these races. Have you ever have you ever stepped back and like thought about your own life philosophy? Because like, is there something there that's like you've got all these different quotes, but is there one that for you is most resonant and just sort of cuts to it all? Yeah, I mean, it's funny. I, I've seen people post about that more, particularly because the ideas have run around with Simon Sinek and then other runners say like, understand your why, and I laugh at myself because i think well i've posted tens of thousands of words online mm. and i i'm i'm not totally sure what i would say i don't well, it's certainly not something i come back to every day mm. um but i do think um if i boil it down it is just that idea of maximizing your the experience in the moment mm. um and so like i've t- referenced in this uh conversation i tend to be pretty emotional um i write about emotions. I listen to songs and get really fired up. Um, so it's like this feeling of, and it's, but it's that combined with positivity of during the races, um, I really can control this. And it really is a gift that I am able and healthy enough to do this. Um, so all anyone can ask of me is to maximize my, uh, the moment in which I get to perform. Um, and mm-hmm. I know from experience when I am sitting around with a beer later with friends, it's going to feel great if I truly just, um, rather than thinking about it as like if I, I gritted and I dug deep and I, mm-hmm. um, I was tougher than anyone else. It's just like really, 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 um, celebrating, uh, the, the moment that I'm in, mm-hmm. um, even if that's, particularly painful in that moment um it's an opportunity to be there uh, and trying to make the most of that moment um before the next moment that i have to make the most yeah. so yeah i mean I'm, you heard me mention if you'd listen to the podcast with ed about uh, when he's really deep into writing maybe you've had this as well but also it applies for running um the concept of flow uh-huh. and and you know like i think there's a macho kind of language that goes around running particularly about gritting in as you say digging in and actually for me one of the goals i've always tried to do having learned about flow is actually and i think back to the best races often i'm thinking about barcelona half and full where i pb'd uh-huh. a few years ago and you're in a pack and you kind of on automatic and the legs are turning over you're in the group you're not thinking overly hard. You're working really, really hard. Yeah. But it's just, you've done all the training, so you're able to maintain that pace of speed. And when you're in that kind of blissful, deep focus, that's that's the flow state. And mm-hmm. I think that's what you're getting more at than the, you know, the getting angry. Yeah, the anger. Yeah, mm. and yeah, exactly. Anger occurs at certain moments, but um, it really, I don't find it very sustainable. Um, so no. it is trying to find the... Yeah, the, and it again the the sensation changes over the hours of a mm. race, and so that's what I've tried to capture in my writing is um, 
and even as I write, uh, you know, like writing about the introduction versus the middle versus the end, um, they are different. And so what flow feels like in those moments is, is different. Um, of course. Yeah. 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 It's, yeah. You nailed it. I mean, you know, in the, in the moment is, is the description that, that goes well. So if you can, if maybe, you know, if people want to be successful rather than try to get too, you know, gritty about what you do, uh, get, get with that more flow like moment but the things that you're saying that you describe tend to show us that you know there's that's where success lies you know optimistic framework of thinking um you know in control internal locus of control i'm you know i'm not i'm in control of this it's not the other factors and when we really tap into that that's where we get the results um so yeah yeah and that's where the the idea of the the impetus for the essay the marathon doesn't owe you anything came from that seeing people posting about how they felt as though they'd checked all the boxes and so therefore a good marathon should come out the other side um and just realizing that my mindset conflicted with that entirely it was just that like the marathon doesn't owe you anything and so you go out and get to celebrate it um and you get to and if you're if you're in those key moments of the races and you're thinking uh, this should be automatic or this should, you know, this was owed to me, that's likely not to set you up for your best performance. And is that where you say, you know, the skill that you're acquiring through a dozen marathons is you can't just throw the recipe for the cake together, throw it in the oven and expect it to come out perfect. You're yeah. much more in control than having to attend to the, mile by mile performance of yourself in it in order to get more of the result that you want. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, that's what's mind boggling to me is it's gotten faster and faster. And so, um, I attempt to share those experiences with others. And I, I certainly don't want to come off as arrogant as though, like I've mastered it. There's many people faster and better than me, but I think, um, I try to articulate the, process that i go through to yeah really uh maximize those moments and not let them get away with negative thoughts or with assumption that you know they can just be easily passed by sure thing right well i mean i could keep going all day and uh, <laughs> uh there's there's many more questions and ideas that float around so maybe down the line we can uh hook back up and do part yeah. two maybe I'll at eat. some point after you've got your um Boston locked and you've you've written another long form and you've learned from that and come up with some more uh, guiding philosophies for yourself oh thank you yeah yes. okay love you all right well look um thanks for the interview today and uh, that was uh, Peter Bronker and thank you for your time and if you've got any questions that uh, you want answered then um Peter can be found whereabouts um, online I'm at uh Bromka at gmail.com is my email and at Bromka on Twitter and on Instagram. Um, so B R O M is in Mary K A Bromka. Yeah. And uh, we wait to hear his next big audacious goal. Thanks for listening <laughs> and uh, tune in next time.